This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Hello and welcome back. Kent Smethers, professor here at the Wharton School, and you're listening to your Money Business Radio, Sirius XM. And for the rest of the show, you know the routine by now. I have a couple of financial planners with me taking your calls about your own financial situation. So if you want to know how to invest your money, save for your retirement kids, college, paying on debts, buying life insurance, getting a will, really anything related to your finances, just give me a call live on Tuesday. So grab the phone, give me a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight. Six six with me in this segment is Ben Gerwitz, who is the Chief Operating Officer and Family Fiduciary for Financial Life Advisors in San Antonio, uh, Texas. Has been practicing for over fourteen years, and uh, his areas of service include uh, comprehensive financial planning, estate planning, insurance analysis, and tax efficient investing. And like all other advisors on this show, he is fee only. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thanks for having me again, Ken. And we'll go back to the phone lines in just a second here. Just remind us a little bit about your firm, and if you have a typical client, Ben, what's he or she like? Um, our typical client is really someone who's looking for, for planning, someone who wants to see the big picture, doesn't really necessarily know what questions to ask, but really wants somebody who can help coordinate the big picture. Yeah. And that's, that's really what we're looking for. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it maybe sounds so simple, but the fact of the matter is so many people, it's such a complicated space that we know where to begin. So just having that quarterback and uh, figuring out that big picture and knowing that they're a really fiduciary, have your interests uh, very important. Again, speaking with Ben Gerwitz, who's the chief operating officer and family fiduciary for the Financial Life Advisors in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, again, live on Tuesday. So grab the phone, give me a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Let me go to Ray calling from New Jersey. How can we help you, Ray? Good afternoon, uh, gentlemen. Thank you very much for taking my call. I just had a couple questions. Um, I have some credit card debt that uh, I knew was was going to go up. We recently bought a house a few years back. It was a fixer-upper, putting some money into it. Um, so I have a couple of options. Uh, I am a commission-based salesman. I do get some large pops. Uh, you know, when I get those pops, I can either pay down that debt or invest it and do something else with it. Uh, and the second part of my question is, in terms of uh, planning for the kids' college, uh, what plans uh, do you feel are best? Um, I know that there are different options out there, and, and I guess the last note I'll make is I do have some investment properties that I have some equity in. I guess my question is, should I use some of that equity to pay down debt and more to save for the kids' college? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a, a good question. It's t- tell me about your debt. You said you have some credit card debt. What type of interest rates are we talking about here? Uh, standard interest, uh, 10%, 12% uh, for credit cards, uh, roughly about 30000 somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but as I mentioned, I can pay that down, uh, you know, once once I close a couple sales and things like that. Uh, so usually I pay it down, and then I run it up, pay it down. Yeah. And, and what is the reason why you, you you run it up? Is it expenses for your, you know, self-employed business, or is it um, just sometimes some you know you see something get excited about and buy it and later regret it or what is what is the kind of the motivation well, most of that uh most of that money has been uh, uh spent for rehabbing my house up, up, upgrading my house we bought a fixer upper mm. um 
you know, I am almost done with all of that. Uh, so it's one of those things where I say, hey, let me just knock it out now, and then I don't have to worry about it. Um, and we've been toying with possibly selling the house and even making money uh, because, you know, I think we're ahead of that as yeah. well. So Yeah, yeah, because it's pretty expensive debt to be – um, even at the low, I mean, credit card debt can often, you know, be easily nineteen, twenty percent. But even the low end, at ten percent, uh, fairly expensive debt. So, so, tell me, you said you had some investment properties. Uh, you own this uh, full out in the sense that yes, you have a mortgage on it, but you can sell these properties if you wanted to. And uh, tell me a little bit more about them. Yeah, so I have some investment properties. Um, you know, one in particular, I have about $70,000 in equity. Uh, the original plan was to have that home, and once the children become college age, sell it off and, uh, you know, uh, uh, split, the, split the, the finances there to help pay for the kids' colleges, yeah. uh, which I still have about, uh, you know, eight or nine or ten years. Yeah, so your kids, uh, roughly, sounds like they're less than ten at this point, and yes. yeah, yeah. All right, so it sounds like you know uh, you have um, some, you know, you have fairly variable income. Um, and what is your household in- income? And is it just you, or is there kind of a less variable source of income? And tell me about your emergency account. Uh, my wife and I, and uh, the income is about one hundred fifty thousand, mm-hmm. and uh, the emergency account is about forty thousand. Forty thousand, and at that one hundred fifty thousand, how much is that you with the variable income versus your spouse, and what does her income look like? Uh, so my income actually is not as variable. Uh, it's actually it, I have a steady salary, and then um, I have the benefit of being able to gain some additional income okay. once I get uh, those sales. And my wife's salary is steady throughout. So is that 150 with, you know, expected commissions or without? Uh, that's without. Without. Okay, good. So it sounds like you have a, a fair amount of, you know, saving capacity there. And so then what's your monthly expenses like, uh, including everything? Uh, I want to say about four to 5000 Four to 5000 All right. So, I mean, overall, it's, it sounds like, you know, you, you have ability, even of your safer income, to start paying down um, some of this credit card debt fairly a- a- aggressively. Um, and then college, it sounds like uh, you haven't set up a 529 plan and you were going to use this investment property. Was that the idea? So I had initially looked into the 529 plans, and I was told that if they weren't used for schooling at the time, then, of course, I'd be penalized, uh, yeah. you know, taking out that money if my children decided not to use that money for school. Um, so I've, I've gotten different feedback on the 529 yeah. plans. I'd be curious to see what you're, uh, you know, what you would recommend. Yeah. But the, the in the interim, uh, the idea was to use the investment properties to help pay for college. Sure, sure. So, Ben, those, that's the setup here, and I, 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 it really comes down to kind of like a prioritization. I mean, in some sense, you know, if they really if they tighten the belt a little bit, they could pay down this credit card debt, you know, probably over the next year or two, even with um, their, their safe income, but maybe there's a commission here that comes 
up that allows them to pay it off a little bit quicker. Um, and uh, it seems to me but college college is a little bit lower priority than the, than the credit card and so forth. I guess I would be you know uh, curious what do you think about maybe um, using the investment properties to sell off the you know the, the deal with the credit card debt, uh, maybe put the remainder of it in the 529 plan versus this current strategy of trying to wait till later for for college. Um, and, uh, you know, just kind of doing it right now, you know, taking care of that 10, 12% interest rate. Well, I, the question I would have about the rental property, is it cash flow positive at this point, Ray? Uh, yes, yes, it is. So, you know, the, the downside I see of selling the property um, and, and using that to pay off debt and, and college funding is that it's not generating a return, growing equity in a deferred manner. If it's a, a good rental property, a good investment, I'd hate to, to sell it, pay taxes on it, and have, have it left over, especially when there's this much cash flow uh, margin every month to pay down the debt. I'm always concerned that when I see a large amount of credit card debt, and you touched on this, Kent, why is it there? Because usually it's, it's a behavioral, behavioral issue. Um, but with it being to rehab a house, uh, I would think that um, that you know paying it down quickly with cash flow uh, would be the best course that that I would probably look at first, as opposed to selling off a, a good investment. Yeah, I mean, I, I basically agree with that. I think it, it really comes down, uh, you know, <laughs> Ray to. Um, this is the the reason why credit card debt is being kind of used. If it, if it's um, it didn't sound like it was really related to your business. If that if it was related to your business, there there would be other kind of ways of kind of both lines of credit that would be a little bit cheaper uh, than that. Um, you know, often I'm okay selling an investment property if that's versus you know dipping into a 401k or something like that to try to um, pay down high interest uh, credit card debt. It is true you know, when it comes to investment properties, especially if you own a, your own home in the same area and you work in the same area, and it's very sensitive. It's a very non-diversified portfolio. Um, so I typically want my investment properties to perform really well um, for me to want to hold on to them for too long. Um, and but it, but if that's you know the case here, um, I think the I, I would lean toward using the existing cash flow as well from the hundred fifty thousand dollars. And if you get a bonus, great. You know, put that toward the, paying off that credit card. Uh, a, a debt, and and the reason why I lean toward that is assuming this investment property really is doing well, it's going to be ca- assuming it's it's a good cash flow positive, uh, covering your mortgage despite the lack of diversification there. Um, as Ben points out, it, it seems like you have a lot of room at four to five thousand dollars of expenses in your current budget to potentially just pay off that credit card with the current budget. And what I like about that is that it does help, you know, uh, deal with potentially some, you know, f- uh, spending behavior um, that, that's, uh, that lends itself toward this credit type of credit card debt. And it's kind of a twofer in some sense, you know, you're paying off the credit card debt, but you're kind of learning, you know, how to do that within the current budget instead of using something one-off to try to wipe it out. I'm all for the one-off, you know, <laughs> wipe out of high-interest 
uh, debt um, when it's appropriate. But I think in this case, I would just you know learn to really pay it off with the current um, uh, 150k safe salary, and if a bonus comes along, you know pay it off then with that as well. Uh, getting it even at a 10 percent. A risk-free return is phenomenal, and that would be the highest priority. Um, when it comes to college, you have a lot of options you know, out there. You certainly you do have this investment property that's likely going to be a lot less tax-efficient, um, and um, uh, it, there's also various risks associated with that relative to you know, uh, a 529 account. So in, if, you weren't, if you did not have this property to start with, then I would be just saying, hey, go 529 account. The 529, if, if your kids plan on going to college at all, I mean, it could be a trade school. I mean, nowadays it can even be private high school. But if they're planning on getting higher ed, ed, uh, education at all, the 529 plan is extremely flexible. And so that is really your primary place uh, for saving for college. And um, now you get the federal tax benefit. I'll have to look it up. Uh, I should know this off the top of my head. I think New Jersey also allows for a state tax benefit as well. And so it's like a Roth. You put the money in after tax, so you can take some of your existing money uh, from your bonuses, uh, put it toward that 529 plan. But what I would say is, you know, uh, even at your current equity property of $70,000, I'm not sure how much money you're planning uh, and spending for college for your kids. Um, but, you know, the $70,000 may not be, you know, enough even as it grows over time uh, to, to pay for college. So set up a 529 plan is really the way to go. But having said that, my first priority, I wouldn't be doing a 529 right now. The first highest priority would be to, uh, it's great that you have that emergency account um, and paying off that credit card debt. At your workplace, I assume that you're getting at least your employer match um, right now in your 401k. Those are the highest priorities, your emergency account, your employer match, and then this credit card um, uh, debt. And then after you get all that you know, taken care of, then you can come back and topping up your 401k, um, really shore up your retirement, and then, only then, revisit the college. Because so many options for kids to help themselves pay for college have some skin in the game, very few options to kind of make up for retirement later on. Is that helpful, Ray? Uh, yes, very much so. I appreciate it. Thank Thanks so much, much for calling. Really appreciate it. And again, uh, speaking with Ben Growitz, uh, CEO and family fiduciary, Financial Life Advisors in San Antonio, Texas, give us a call. We're live on Tuesday. So grab the phone, give me a call. Love to talk about your own financial situation, give you some advice here at 1 844 Wharton. That's 1 844 Let me go to Andy calling from Florida. How can I help you, Andy? Uh, yes, good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I'm an immigrant. I came about 10 years ago to the country. I'm right. already 46 years old, and I have no retirement savings, mm. uh, probably $3,000, which is nothing. Sure. And um, I have a decent job, I, I, but I don't know what to do that makes sense at this point in time. Yeah. So I would like yeah. to take your advice. What would be the best route for me? Yeah, yeah. So tell me more about your job and... Uh, give me some of the more financials, like how much money you pull in. But I'm also curious how you get paid. That's going to be important. Is it a W-2? Is it 1099? Some other way? Uh, g- give me some more facts. Okay. So I have a small business. I do um, software development. Um, my uh, At the end of the day, uh, my take-home is around 120, mm-hmm. uh, $120 a, uh, a year. And um, uh, that's after you know, expenses and what have you. 
but um, you know, from that you have the mortgage. I mean, not the mortgage, the rent. I, I don't own a house. Yeah. A rent. Um, uh, cars, health insurance, all that. Uh, so that's uh, that's. So how much? What's what's your monthly expense uh, per month? Uh, that was repetitive. What's your monthly ex- expenses like if you add it all okay, up? Okay, so you know after I pay for everything, around seven thousand. Seven thousand. Okay. So I mean, how much? You said one hundred twenty thousand uh, before taxes. I'm assuming. How much additional kind of cash flow? Do you feel? Do you have every month currently? Like, how much more money do you have to invest every month? So, I, I, let's say two thousand. Two thousand dollars. Okay. And just to be also be clear, you know, seven thousand bucks a month. And you, you said it was it's it's just you, Andy, or do you have kids or what, a spouse? Okay. Yes. Um, I have uh, two kids. My wife. Mm-hmm. I also have. Um, I help financially my mom and my dad. I see. I see. And if you really, really tighten about that, that that seven thousand dollars a month, are you saying that you know maybe it's not driving the greatest car, maybe it's not having the, the best, you know, of, of various things, whatever those are. What do you think you could get that seven thousand uh, dollars down to? Uh, if I can squeeze it, uh, we'll probably go down to five. Five thousand. Okay, so we're talking about two to four thousand dollars, maybe a month, um, uh, to uh, save. You know, at the low end, currently maybe two thousand dollars, maybe really squeeze at four thousand dollars. And there's no question if you don't have any retirement savings set aside right now and getting started right now, it's going to be really uh, important for you. And it sounds like you're you're paying yourself, and and because you're calling, I'm assuming that you haven't set up something like a solo 401k or a SEP or anything like that. Maybe never even heard of those terms, right? Uh, Recently, since I started listening to you guys. (laughs) Okay, that's great, great. Do you have any employees, or is it just you? Um... I, I do have employees, but um, they uh, they work on the um, on the W two. Is it what it is, or it's the, the one that you uh, you pay for services? Okay, so it's co- it's contract work. It's not. It's not. Um, okay. It's not employees. No. Okay. 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 That's that's important because in terms of kind of the choices available, the fact that managing a lot of small businesses. Owners without regular employees, they often think, oh, well, I don't have a 401k plan. They often have uh, really great opportunities um, available to them. So, Ben, let's go through you know a couple of these options for for Andy um, that's available to him. What's, what's the SEP, which is kind of the easy one to get started with, for solo 401k. Um, your thoughts? Well, the, the, the most flexible plan, and I'm sure your favorite, is the solo 401k um, yeah. SEPs are very easy to set up. Yeah. Uh, you fill out a form. You, it's a percentage of how much you make uh, on your tax return. Uh, but with a 401k, you have a lot more flexibility with doing a Roth con- con- contribution or funding more aggressively. Yeah. Um, and and the way that, that it, it's calculated on your return, is it can be more beneficial at times. Um, and nowadays, a lot of the discount Custodians provide all the plan documents necessary to set it up, so there's no annual cost to it, which used to be a big obstacle. Right. Um, so, so I'm always a fan of the solo 401k, but just getting something started, um, even as simple if if you can't save above the limits of of setting aside $5,500 in a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA, might be the easiest way to get started. 
It's just making sure that in that budget you can find the money to set aside and, and get on a regular investment plan so that it becomes a habit. Yeah, yeah, no, I I completely agree. In, in particular, Andy, in the old days, I affected this myself when I just had some side income. I set up a septus because it was really easy to go on the Vanguard's. Probably 10 minutes at most, I had a, a SEP set up. Solo 401k is really – the solo 401k is really um, the best choice for you because, um, as Ben uh, pointed out, nowadays it's it's really easy to get that set up. You can go right on the Vanguard, for example, uh, and do that. And given the amount of money that you can potentially save, I think it, it does give you the maximum flexibility. And I think it also is um, relative to – you know, some type of uh, Roth IRA or regular RRA, it sounds like you're going to be able to do a bit more than the annual limits for those anyway. So might as well put that into a solo 401k. And then that's going to get you going. And, you know, in four years from now, um, uh, depending how uh, how much in the age 46 you are, halfway or more, uh, four years, once you hit age 50 and a half, you're going to be able to go and do, um, uh, well, actually, in this case, just age 50, you can do the makeup provision. And so you're going to be able to do um, you know twenty four thousand dollars a year, and that's in the regular four hundred one k. In the solo four hundred one k, the limits are different, but you still are going to have a lot more flexibility uh, with that. And if you ever get start to you know be, look for coding jobs with a with a W two income, again you're going to have a lot of options there for for four hundred one k. So, but in, right now um, your best option really is a solo four hundred one k. And Vanguard offers that Schwab Fidelity and so forth. They all make it pretty easy to set up, and, and that's that's really your best approach. Is that helpful, Andy? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, if I may ask uh, yeah. an, another related question. Yeah. So my my fear is with the limits on the 401k and so on, and the time that I have left uh, as a as a worker, let's say you know productive time left. Yeah. Would that be enough for my retirement? It really comes down to. How much are you planning on um, spending during retirement? Have you contributed to um, um, to Social Security going uh, all, all along? A, a, a little bit. I, I have very little um, on Social Security right now. Okay, because yeah, you said Again, I, I'm relatively new here, so yeah, yeah, and you're you're now. right around. You said you're here for ten years, and in Social Security, um, getting that that. The ten years is kind of the minimum um, to start quali- qualifying for benefits. They Social Security is based on your best thirty-five years of of income. Ten years is kind of the, the kind of the minimum, and and so you, you, it is you know likely that you're going to have to save very aggressively. Uh, so the the nice thing about a self-employment like the solo four hundred one k is that yeah yeah you can be pretty you know aggressive, um, uh, very similar to um, you know a, a regular four hundred one k and saving, but at this and I think that's going to be enough to be quite frankly to absorb. Um, a, a fair amount of your saving. Having said that, uh, if you could really do that, four thousand bucks a month, 
then um, that means your best option after the solo 401k is maybe just set up a taxable brokerage account. You could do that at Vanguard, um, Schwab Fidelity, and so forth. I have no financial interest in any of these companies. But if you do that, a lot of times people say, well, you know, taxable, that's not very efficient. It can be because what happens is that in your solo 401k, that's where you're going to make most of your contributions. And that's where you're going to hold a lot of things like your, your bonds that can produce income. Um, in your Vanguard account, for example, a taxable Vanguard account, that's where you hold more of your stocks. And if you hold things like the total stock market fund, things like that, it's not going to produce a lot of capital gains um, a- along the way. And so that can that double barrel strategy is actually very tax efficient. Uh, again, holding more of your bonds in your solo four hundred one k that that is your fixed income, um, a low lower risk, but they they produce income. And uh, as a result, it, it, inside your solo four hundred one k, it doesn't really matter if it's going to produce income. It's going to be that you're going to have that tax benefit from that income tax there. Um, and then you're in your uh, taxable brokerage account again. That's where you hold your equities, and that's where you can make your additional kind. Contributions. And I'm not really worried that you're going to be unbalanced with the numbers that you're talking about here of having too much stock risk because it looks like most of it's going to be in the solar 401k that's going to be more leaning toward bonds. So thanks so much for calling in. They really appreciate it. Again, speaking, Ben Gerwitz, uh, COO and family fiduciary financial life advisor, San Antonio, Texas. If you've got a question, love to answer a question here about your own finances here at 1-844-WORTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Let me go to Bedford call. Calling from Illinois, how can we help you, Bedford? Well, hello. Thank you very much for taking my call. Sure. I have a my question is about my parents um, who are age eighty eight and seventy seven. Mm. They're very undiversified portfolio. Um, they they own a lot of, in particular, in two, in two shares of in shares of two companies. Mm. And the, the two main questions I have would be related to what to do given that they don't know, they don't have a good idea of what their cost basis was yeah. for those two companies. And then the next step would be, I think they've, they've, they've climbed on to the idea of reducing that exposure, um, but where to put the money. They've been advised to put it into municipal bonds. Mm. I don't know if their income is high enough for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I'd be wondering who's giving them that advice. Do, do, do they use the dividends from these stocks to help finance their kind of living? Uh, they, they do, yeah. And how important? I mean, is that part of their kind of base layer of you know living? I assume these are you know dividend-paying stocks. That's why they invested in years ago. How, is that? To pay for parasifications, or are we talking about this is really basic necessities that's coming from those dividends? Closer to basic necessities, I'd okay. say about about my 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 back of the envelope estimate was probably about uh, well, I'd say my guess was that about sixty percent of their sort of taxable income was from the, the uh, entire portfolio, and but but much less of that. That they use sort of for their uh, 
everyday expenses. Yeah. And you said, you know, one parent's 88, one parent's 78. Are, are they thinking about some of this going, uh, being bequeathed at some point? Um, or is this, um, and this is always a tough conversation. The reason why I ask this is if it's yeah. about to be, if the, one of the main purposes being bequeathed, even though it lacks diversification, just because if the cost basis is super low and they will, a lot of taxes. One of the benefits of bequests is that you get what's called basis step up um, at death. Do you do you want, do you know what their intent for this is going forward? Is it is it is something that they were planning passing to you? Yeah, I mean, I think they were planning to live fairly frugally and modestly off of a portion of the investment income, and then um, hand over the rest to me and my sister. Yeah. And, and so they are living off the investment. They're not currently selling shares um, uh, uh, to, to, do, to do that. And I assume they're collecting Social Security or obviously on Medicare and so forth, right? Yeah, that's correct. And that's yeah. is this outside of Social Security and Medicare, is this their only source of investment returns or is this kind of just a... Um, a, a big one. Uh, you know, what what percent uh, outside of Social Security and Medicare do you think these two shares account for? Oh, um, so I would two stocks, guess I mean. about thirty percent of the their total, um, okay. and maybe about um, in their overall investment portfolio, maybe about sixty percent of their total. So those two companies make up about half of their portfolio. Okay. All right. Yeah, so it's always tough because uh, at the end of the day, I really want to know what that cost basis is. Um, but, 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 Ben, I mean, uh, we'll, we'll uh, take a break in about a, a minute and a half here. But on the other hand, we'll keep Bedford on the line and come back as, as to, to finish it up. But, you know, it, it, there is a delicate, you know, it's a tough conversation to have, but it is a delicate trade off between cost basis, diversification, and of course, if this money was intended to be bequeathed, uh, we don't have the cost basis information. Uh, but so, let's just suppose <laughs> it's it's low, so it's a big taxable event here. How how would you lean here? A lot of the of which way to go would yeah. be there's the investment risk of having a concentrated position and losing a lot of money from yeah. the stock market going down. But there's the tax cost, a big tax bite, and it's not just the income taxes. Because if you have large capital gains, yeah. you can throw their Medicare premiums up significantly yeah. uh, for a year, which is a di- an additional cost. But it really comes down to can they afford to take that equity risk? Because if the market goes down dramatically and they have a concentrated position, is that going to ruin their standard of living uh, or their inheritance that they want to leave to their children versus the, the risk of, of not doing it. And until you have a clearer picture of could they afford to take that much risk with a concentrated position, it's difficult to say exactly what they should do, but yeah. it really comes down to that. Can they afford with their own uh, personal situation to be able to take the risk that those concentrated positions against how important it is to leave? Yeah. Uh, so, Ben, hold on to those thoughts. We'll be coming right back. Bedford saying in the line. We'll wrap it up with you and then just uh, right after this quick break. Give us a call here. One eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Be right back to back to the full lines. Right after this quick break. You're listening to Your Money on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Professor Kent Smetters. 
Welcome back, and you're listening. Your money. I'm Ken Smith. This is Business Radio, Sirius XM, and we were going into our second hour. As a reminder, we are live every Tuesdays from five to seven p.m. Eastern, repeated throughout the week. So, if you want to know if you can maybe afford something in particular, I have a question about your investments, or just wondering if you saved enough for your kids' colleges. Give me a call, and we'll talk about it. Here with me in this segment is Ben Gerwitz, who is the Chief Operating Officer and Chief Investment Officer. For Financial Life Advisors, doing a great job answering your questions here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine zero four two seven eight six six. And we left off with Bedford calling from Illinois. You know, one parent, age eighty eight; the other one, seventy eight. They have two stocks that make up uh, almost half of their investment portfolio, and so just trying to understand um, the trade offs between. Uh, if they were to, to sell these stocks to better diversify, there would be some uh, likely some taxable events associated with that. And the second is, if, um, of course, they, they would get more diversification if they put in a mutual fund. But uh, a delicate but important issue from tax considerations, though, is also if the parents uh, are able to live off the current income and plan to bequeath this to uh, Bedford and his sister, that that would mean um, that the tax gain would be wiped out upon that bequest, upon death, known as basis step up at at death. And so, you know, uh, Bedford, I I think Ben did a great job kind of summarizing with the the trade-offs. I guess I come down to this. It really does come down to the cost basis. Clearly, um, stuff that has a higher cost basis that was maybe bought more recently, that stuff that is um, but still being held for a year, um, um, that would be stuff that would be kind of targets for you know buy, uh, selling that um, uh, and, and maybe diversifying um, some of that. Of course, given the age of your parents, they probably weren't buying a lot of this stock for for quite a long time, and so my bet, my guess is the cost basis is pretty low here. The taxable event would be high. Um, typically, you know, we really do bias toward um, you know not worrying so much about taxes and worrying a lot more about diversification. And you know, the one exception to that is is um, this, you know, even then, I still lean that direction. Having said that, you know, there are uh, some rare cases where you have this basis step up um, that may be worth, you know, exploring. Um, so it, really the way I'd break it down is that if, in fact, as Ben asked you, you know, if the market tanked, how would they do? How important is this uh, to really their living? If they could live on Social Security, Medicare, um, you're willing to take them in in, in case you know they don't need, if uh, especially if they don't have long-term care insurance, things like that. In other words, if you're implicitly part of their insurance policy, um, uh, if uh, beyond Social Security and Medicare for long-term care, aging, and so forth. Um, then you know it's somewhat, and they or they could you know survive well in Social Security and Medicare. Then part of the gamble is really up to you. Are you willing to take it? Um, and in particular, one scenario you could think about is that suppose the market dropped thirty percent or, or so, and these tank you know stocks really tanked you know thirty percent or so. Um, uh, and if the dividends decreased or went away, you know one scenario is that they sell into stocks then at that point, um, the tanking of the market will mean there's not big of a cost 
in terms of taxes, and they could maybe just use the corpus that is actually selling the base, not bequeathing um, you that money at that point, in order to you know f- uh, finance consumption that they need for health care, you know, retirement, uh, nursing nursing care, things like that. Um, it really comes down to is what is that base safe layer? I um, mean, if they can survive on Social Security and Medicare, you you are there for them when it comes to things like long-term care. Um, that allows them to take more of this risk of basically saying, you know, we'll try to wasn't great that they're non-diversified, but we'll just try to, you know, live off these dividends. In the worst-case scenario, the, the, the values drop 30% or so, and we'll just sell off at that point even more, even though the values have dropped, in order to try to, um, uh, you know, finance retirement. If you, could, if you can paint out a picture there that, that even after a 30% market drop, there is a fairly safe scenario for them. Then you know that is, and that may include you. Then that you know does lead me toward more of um, you know maybe going for the tax gamble here and and really trying to um, allow the basis step up uh, upon the inheritance. Um, if you can't really map out a serious you know uh, risk free kind of scenario there, um, then that would lead me in the opposite direction toward toward just you know sucking it in. <laughs> paying those taxes, and um, uh, achieving more diversification. In fact, in this case, not even moving towards stocks, but just moving to a simple bond portfolio. Is that helpful, Bedford? That's extremely helpful. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for calling. I really appreciate it. And again, speaking with Ben Gerwitz, and CEO and family fiduciary for Financial Life Advisors, San Antonio, uh, Texas, doing a great job answering your questions. Give us a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Let me go to Kelvin calling from Georgia. How can I help you, Kelvin? Ooh, Kelvin. Yeah, not sure. We're not getting you so well. I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll, we'll let you get better signal, and we'll go to another line. We'll come right back to you, Calvin. And let me go to Tom, also calling from Georgia. How can I help you, Tom? Uh, yes, uh, I'd like your advice. I'm a federal law enforcement officer, I'm mandatory retirement at 57. Mm. I have a TSP of about 700000 and I have... Uh, about two hundred thousand in uh, mutual funds, mm-hmm. and my wife is uh, has a four hundred one k with about four hundred thousand. Mm. The question I have is, right now I'm ninety percent in the G fund, yeah, and ten percent into the stock fund. So, but all her four hundred one k is in uh, mutual funds. And I'm just wondering if that type of diversification is good or also have uh, a pension coming, you know, on my retirement. Yeah, well, that was what I was going to ask you because that's pretty important here. So if I understand correctly, your, your TSP, you have 90% in the G fund. I'll describe that in a second. The 10% in the stock fund, that's 700000 You have a separate mutual fund, um, uh, funds. And I assume, is that a taxable brokerage account uh, that you have those in? Uh, correct. Okay. Correct. Uh, it's a churf swab, but it, it is a fee based 
broker. Yeah, yeah. Um, and are those? I assume those are invested in stocks. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Well, so far you're doing you're making some pretty good choices in the sense that you have your bonds in the kind of the tax deferred location, your stocks in the taxable location. And then your your wife, you said she's all uh, even though it's a uh, a 401k, she's basically 100% stocks, is that right? Correct. She's a pharmacist and they have no pension, so all she has is a 401k with about 400,000 in it. Yeah. What I'm trying to do is just to retire as quickly as she can and I can to kind of keep the same salary that we're having sure. that we have right now. So tell me about this pension. Um, when does that kick in? And um, it, it tell me about how much money it will produce. And uh, also tell me about your monthly expenses. Uh, the pension will kick in as soon as I retire, and I can retire at any point now. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, it would be uh, right around 50% of my income. Uh, so it would equate, I think, to four or $5,000 a month. Uh, and what was the second And the question? second one is, what's your monthly expenses like? Uh, perhaps at around $6,000. And is that include a mortgage or without a mortgage? Uh that includes the mortgage. And when the mortgage wears, uh, how many more years in the mortgage and when that wears off? Uh, well, they'll just tell me how many more years in the mortgage and how much are you paying on that mortgage? Yeah, we have it at 15 year and I think it's 78. We owe about 165, 160 on the mortgage. So how much do you pay per month on that? Uh, about $2,800. $2,800, okay. So a fair amount of your expenses then. You know, uh, almost half of it's in that mortgage. That it sounds like you have uh, another fifteen years on that, if I understand correctly, and um, maybe refinance uh, recently. And so, eventually, uh, the nice and the nice thing that's going on for that for you on the pension is that pension, uh, one of the few that will actually index with inflation over time. Most pensions do not do that. Social Security as well as federal pensions and military pensions do index for inflation. And the G Fund's pretty special fund. It was uh, it's, uh, it was actually a, a fund that you can't find anywhere else. It's a government bonds, but it has a, a mixture of short, medium, and long-term exposure uh, to it. It gives a blended rate of return, uh, but it has no principal risk, uh, which is pretty amazing. Uh, but that was a special act of Congress that created the G Fund. And so, yeah, it's a lower return, but at the same time gives this blended return. Uh, most bond funds that give you a blended return have some type of risk associated with those longer-term uh, uh, bonds. I guess the question is, uh, you know, are you overly exposed, though, to low risk at this point, especially if you have this pension coming in? Um, and so you said you, you have to retire at age 57. How many, how many years away are you from that? I'm presently 57, but I'm only uh, an extension, so they've asked me to stay on another year. Okay. So to me, I'm just I could go anytime. All right, so you're you're basically there. So so Ben, your thoughts? You know, it, it's on one hand the G funds a pretty uh, incredible fund, but yes, also this uh, you know pension coming up and and that is going to be paying um, you know uh, most of its expenses, not completely all of it. Um, when that house is paid off, it will actually 
appear to pay almost all his ex- his expenses, not including some of his medical expenses. G Fund's pretty special. At the same time, you know, we add it all up. He probably has at this point, you know, he says ninety ninety ten split. Uh, it, so it's it's basically a fifty fifty mix. Uh, given his two hundred thousand is in stocks of his mutual fund, four hundred thousand of his wife's uh, account is uh, completely in stocks, and his ninety ten mix on the G and a, a TSP fund. And roughly speaking, let's just call it round up and say it's it's roughly around a uh, hundred thousand in, in stocks. So roughly speaking, it's about fifty fifty mix between stocks and bonds. Uh, but he has his pension. So your thoughts. Well, and 50-50 at age 57, going into a retirement with a, a pension and Social Security down the road, you know, that's a relatively conservative mix for somebody of that age. Your risk tolerance, emotional risk tolerance may be higher or lower than that, but that on its face doesn't concern me at all. You know, you said that your goal is to have the same level of income in retirement that you have now. Um, but it looks like you're not spending your income now because with the income tax bill that you have from employment plus uh, all the savings you guys have been doing and you've done a great job, uh, you're spending significantly less. So is it to keep your income the same or to keep your spending the same as you have now? I think it's trying to keep the income similar so we can uh, enjoy the retirement well, I, I don't think that's going to be a problem. Just simply, uh, once you reach Social Security age, you'll get a raise up, upon your pension. Those are inflation-adjusted, and then with a, a roughly 50-50 split uh, between stocks and bonds, I'd expect your portfolio to, to outpace inflation over the long run. I think you're doing a great job. Um, you know, it, it might – you want to make sure that the, the mutual funds you have and – and the investments are all low cost uh, and and appropriately diversified, but just the numbers on the surface, assuming that's all the case, you guys are in great shape. Yeah, yeah, and I completely agree. I mean, uh, so t- Tom, I mean, you basically have a fifty-fifty split, and yeah, some might say, hey, that's a bit, you know, conservative, um, given that you have this pension. That is essentially like risk-free income. I mean, if you, if this was like a private pension, the fact that matters the purchasing power of that pension is going to go down over time. Uh, and but it's a, you know a federal pension. And once as Ben points out, I mean essentially once you hit age seventy, two things are going to happen. Most of your house is going to be paid off at age seventy. And I would really still encourage you to postpone claiming Social Security benefits until age seventy. You have plenty of money to get you to age seventy. And that's just going to maximize your benefits even more. Between that and your pension, you're going to be uh, in really good shape. Um, and so one potential reason that you're taking a, a fair uh, a, a low amount of risk, I would say, say low. I mean, it's a modest amount of risk, is uh, when you have access to this G fund, and it's a, it's a great way to um, you know invest some of your fixed income. Um, the second is you know, eventually you're going to have uh, – out-of-pocket uh, medical expenses, even people going into uh, retirement and going into Medicare are going to face a couple today around two hundred fifty thousand dollars 
of out-of-pocket medical expenses, either through Medigap policies or some other out-of-pocket medical expenses. There's going to be some nursing care down the road, things like that. Um, and, but and, you know, if at the same time, you know, if you wanted to take on some more, you know, stock market risk, um, you're already doing that maximum in your mutual, your taxable mutual fund. If you want to take it a little bit more stock market risk, I think you're fine doing that. Um, having said that, I also think, you know, if I were in your shoes and you're just, it sounds like you're concerned a lot with safety and uh, you do have access to this G fund, I might be just playing it safe and just doing what you're doing. Because either way, I think you're going to be fine. I mean, you're going to have plenty of income from from pensions, and you're going to have plenty of money to keep you going until, you know, age 70, and then you're going to get this, you know, again, boost of Social Security plus, and Social Security a larger amount because you're going to delay it till age 70, plus you're going to have uh, almost paid off your house, and, um, and still you're going to have a fair amount of assets left over. So I think you're in great shape, Tom. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks so much for calling. Really appreciate it. And again, speaking with Ben Gurwitz, uh, doing a great job. Answering questions here uh, is the CEO and family fiduciary for Financial Life Advisors. But the answer to questions live on Tuesday, so pick up the phone and give me a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. We go to a break in just a second here, but you know, Ben, yeah, before I let you go, let's talk about a little bit about more about retirement and, in, in particular, tax planning. I mean, so you you advise your clients to contribute certainly to you know Roths, traditional four hundred one k, you know, the things like four hundred three bs, four fifty sevens, and so forth. Um, at work, how, how do you help people make that decision in terms of you know Roth versus the the traditional account? Well, it, it, the question on what you should contribute to, all things being equal, is going to be a Roth. If you're in the same tax bracket now as you'll be in in retirement, the Roth always is going to win. It has some special provisions, not having to take RMDs. Yeah not counting in your income later, which can draw, cause some weird tax consequences with Social Security and capital gains uh, later on when you're in the distribution phase. But if somebody's in a really high tax bracket now and they are projected to be in a lower tax bracket in retirement, yeah. which is a lot of Americans. Yeah, that's, it's, it's still the majority. Yeah, Typically, taking the deferral yeah. now is beneficial. But with the new tax code that came into effect this year, yeah. Some of that advice is kind of being turned on its head. I have a lot of clients that are looking at what their tax brackets were prior to this year and what they're projected to be in the future and have become much more aggressive at accelerating income through Roth conversions. So looking at a, a future picture, you really – and, and with the last caller, thinking about when other sources of income are going to come onto your tax return from Social Security being delayed – when you have to take RMDs from your retirement accounts, a lot of people find themselves in the situation where they don't expect to have all this income late in retirement. So if you can kind of look into the future and, and project that out a little bit, it can really help you make the decision, should I be taking the tax deduction now, mm-hmm. doing a traditional deferral, or should I be foregoing that and doing the Roth, which is going to give me tax-free growth? Okay, excellent. And, and, and the key is for anybody, just save. But yeah. do it tax efficiently, and you get the most most out of your money. No question, and that really is the first order importance here is is saving. You know, making a few mistakes here and there in terms of portfolio tax efficiency. Yeah, we'd like to optimize around that, but certainly just saving is still. 
the, 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 the most important first step. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Ben, for coming back on the show. Well, great. Thanks for having me. You can find Ben online by going to his website, which is FL Advisors. Again, fladvisors.com or just Google Ben Gerwitz. Um, and that's advisors spelled with an O, the proper way to spell advisors, FL Advisors. And then you're listening to your money. I'm Ken Smithers, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We come back. You know the routine. We're going to uh, go back to the phone lines, take more of your calls, answer your questions, how to save, invest, pay down debt. And, other, and we're going to welcome back to the show Ara Agorian. And so uh, my producer, Michelle, is standing by there and ready to line up your calls. Get in line. Give, me, give us a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four. Four four nine four two seven eight six six, and we'll be back with our right after this quick break. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.